Sega deserved to fail. I'm cataloging my Saturn games, thinking of selling them. It got me thinking about how Sega mucked up big style. When it came to their 90s console strategy, one question springs to mind. What were Sega thinking? Before you think I'm hating for no reason, understand I say this as someone who was a Sega fanboy. Growing up in the 90s, Sega Saturn owners on the island of Ireland were a minority. I was one of them. Nobody wanted Sega to succeed more than me. And the Sega Saturn is the first thing I ever worked towards. I sold off my Mega Drive games, did odd jobs for people around the neighbourhood. For context, I was around 8 years old at the time. But, despite my best efforts, despite my devotion, Sega did not succeed. By the turn of the millennium, they were a joke. When I say Sega was a failure, what I mean is their exit as console makers. They went from owners to renters, if that makes sense. Looking back, the only people Sega have to blame for their failures are themselves. I'm always curious about this period in gaming history, mainly because it is tied into a sense of nostalgia. And it's the first time I was really burned by something I was into as a kid. Also, Sega's fall from grace at the time felt so sudden. How come I'm writing this post? Some context first. It's 2020. Streets of Rage 4 has been released. It's fantastic. It feels like a Streets of Rage game. There's love for the series and the programming. At the same time, while you're playing it, a question keeps scratching the back of your skull. Why did this take 26 years? The more you think about it, the more you realise Sega deserved to fail. What were they thinking? Still not with me? Let me explain. Here's why Sega deserved to fail. Peripheral Vision The Sega Mega Drive, or Genesis, was, was a success. A 16-bit console that took some of Nintendo's market share. Sega successfully branded themselves as the edgy alternative to Nintendo's family-friendly system. For a brief, shining moment, Sega found themselves on top. Here's the thing. Looking back, they didn't know what they were doing. They had to do something about it, right? So what did they do? Everything at once. They flung it all at the wall. Now, when you throw things at the wall, it is customary to see what sticks. Not Sega. No, they just kept firing more and more at the wall. Whatever did stick was immediately dislodged by the next thing thrown. What do I mean? Sega released the Sega CD, an add-on for the Mega Drive. After that, they released another add-on, the 32X. That in turn was followed up by Sega's next generation console, the Sega Saturn. Now, if you don't have an interest in video games, let me explain. When you release hardware, it's best to give your add-on or your peripheral some breathing room to find an audience. Sega did not do this. These devices were all released within a year of each other. Sega CD in 93, 32X in 94, and a Saturn in 95. These things weren't cheap either. For example, the Sega CD launched at $299, adjusted for inflation, that is $525 in 2020. What was the result? It led to analysis paralysis with customers. Do you buy a Sega CD? But the 32X is coming out within a few months. 
You see it for the 32X, only to find out the Saturn is just around the corner. I remember as a kid really wanting a Sega CD, but only for the driving sections of Batman Returns, but that was it. The only game. Everything else looked naff. Interactive movie games like Night Trap? No thanks. Now, that was my opinion as a kid who didn't know any better. What do you think a more discerning gamer was thinking? There was another downside with the small time frame between add-ons and consoles. It meant that there was no point developing games for the Sega. Pardon me. <laughs> it meant there was no point developing games for the Sega CD or 32X when the big release is the Saturn. Just to continue Sega's bonehead decision making, the gap between the Saturn and the Dreamcast was three years. Slightly longer, but in console terms, way too short a time frame. By comparison, six years elapsed between the release of the first PlayStation and the PlayStation 2. Here's the kicker. The Dreamcast launched towards the end of 1999. By March 2001, it was dead. Not even a full two years, and it was dead on arrival. Researching this post, I still can't believe their releasing schedule. It gives you the impression that Sega were flailing. It took until 2001 for Sega to withdraw from the console market entirely. However, the beginning of the end feels like it was 95. The 32X and the Saturn releasing within months of each other hurt the trust they had with their audience. What were they thinking? Sega was behind the times. Sega could not see the road ahead. In the early 90s, the arcade was king. The Sega Mega Drive was essentially an excellent arcade porting machine. It felt like you had the arcade in your front living room. By the mid-1990s, however, the arcade was already on its way out. Gamers wanted a more substantial experience from a game. No longer was it acceptable to charge top dollar for a game you could complete within an hour and forget the next. New kid in town. Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation kicked off the era of RPGs as big releases. Final Fantasy VII was the killer app. It heralded the change for, if not more complex games, at least more st substantial ones. Arcade games were cotton candy, but people wanted more. They wanted a T-bone. Final Fantasy VII was a prime cut. Sega did not see this coming. They thought the sun would never set on the halcyon days of the arcade. Much of the Sega Saturn library is comprised of arcade ports, at least in Europe and North America. Here are a few. Sega Rally. Daytona, Virtua Fighter, Fighting Vipers, Virtual On, Manx TT, Superbike, Virtua Cop, House of the Dead. Even non-arcade games like Knights are essentially arcade-style score attack games. Final Fantasy VII in many ways kicked off the golden age of the RPG in the Western Hemisphere. This blindsided Sega. There were loads of RPGs on the Saturn, but Sega didn't think there would be a market for the genre in the West. It took them so long to catch up. One of their flagship franchise RPGs, Shining Force. Shining Force 3 was the Saturn's last official release in Europe. I even remember going into the game store in Belfast City Centre. By this stage, the Saturn section was a no-man's-land buffer between the PlayStation section and the N64 section. It was disappointing. The Saturn went out with a whimper, and it didn't have to. Thinking that RPGs were some kind of Japanese niche market? What were Sega thinking? They deserved to fail. Another dimension. Another area where Sega was short-sighted was that they couldn't see that 3D was the way forward. The Saturn was hard to program for when it came to 3D games. Now, I don't know anything about computer, pro computer programming. 
having done minimal research, here's my understanding. The Sony PlayStation used triangular polygons, whereas the Sega Saturn used square polygons. It is easier to make two triangles a square rather than one square a triangle, if that makes sense. I have to be honest, I don't even know if that's right. How Sega Saturn did polygons led to horrendous pop-up. Pop-up is when you're moving through a 3D environment and objects will just appear as if from nowhere. Now, here's the thing. When the Saturn embraced its limitations, it was beautiful. Shining Force 3 had 2D sprites and 3D backgrounds and it looked great. It added to the charm of the game. And then there was Guardian Heroes, another example of a developer embracing the console's shortcomings. Sega thought 2D arcade games were going to be the never-ending fashion. What were they thinking? Sega did not have the games. This one isn't the worst of their biz business decision, but it was the one that left a bad taste in the mouth. Ultimately, what is a console without its titles? It was the lack of games for the Sega Saturn that led to the demise. In fact, it was Sega's mishandling of their properties that put me off the company. Sega made me buy a PlayStation. How bad was Sega when it came to handling their own intellectual properties? Put it this way, there was no mainline Sonic game in the Sega Saturn. There was no Sonic 4. There was Sonic R, a racing game. There was Sonic Jam, a compilation of the Mega Drive games. And there was Sonic 3D, which was an upscale of a Mega Drive game. Sega did not bring out a brand new mainline Sonic game for the Saturn. There was no mainline 3D Sonic game, or even a 2D 3D hybrid. I liked Sonic as a kid. I collected the first 100 issues of Sonic the comic. I would have enjoyed an installment on the Saturn, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. I know now that there were attempts at a title, but still, there was no Sonic game. The fact they did not treat their own mascot properly is part of the reason why they deserve to fail. Sega's mishandling of properties wasn't just limited to the Blue Hedgehog. Missed opportunities. As I mentioned at the start of the post, 26 years passed between Streets of Rage 3 and Streets of Rage 4. There was no Saturn entry. The Saturn didn't even have Golden Axe, Wonder Boy, Kid Chameleon or Shinobi. That's just a few examples off the top of my head. Come to think of it, there was a Shinobi game but it was a 2D side-scroller when what they needed was a 3D game, more like Tenchu Stealth Assassins. They could have used the Saturn to develop their properties into other genres. For example, the first two Panzer Dragoon games were on-rail shooters. The third game in the franchise evolved into a fully formed RPG, and it also happens to be one of the best RPGs too. Why couldn't they have done something like this with Streets of Rage or Golden Axe? What were they thinking? Developers like Treasure could have taken a franchise off their hands. Treasure made Guardian Heroes for the Saturn. It was like Golden Axe, but it had RPG elements and more of a story. In fact, even as I'm editing this post, Die Hard Arcade came to mind. Die Hard Arcade was essentially the 3D Streets of Rage Sega needed. For some reason, Sega decided to do a tie-in with a film that came out eight years prior to its release. So, by the time the sequel to Die Hard Arcade came out, the movie rights had lapsed. Sega had to change the name of the sequel to Dynamite Cop, thus creating an altogether new franchise. My god, they were fucking incompetent. What were they thinking? I'm going to come right out and say it. 
Sega did not and still does not know how to treat its properties. The fact that Streets of Rage 4 2020 and Sonic Mania 2017 are some of Sega's best speaks volumes. The fact that Sega handed the development over to superfans speaks even louder. Conclusion Those are some of the reasons Sega deserved to fail. If you have one takeaway from Sega's failure, it's that when you're winning, you may think you can do no wrong. This is not true. You are one or two decisions away from disaster. Do not act with haste for the sake of action. Had Sega thought out their strategy a bit more, things may have ended up differently. Sega's failure can teach you that you need to focus your energy on one project. Don't multitask, as tempting as it may be. You need to give yourself some room to breathe and you also have to maintain trust with your audience as you can only break it the once. Here's the thing. I'm kind of grateful that I felt burnt by Sega as a kid. It made me realize that fanboying, blind loyalty, can break your heart. It has made me more objective when it comes to judging things. Final thoughts. Fanboying can feel like a fool's errand. For example, I have a lot of friends who fanboy over the Manchester United soccer team. How happy does it make them supporting this team? Let me put it this way. The pandemic is probably the best result Man United have had in years. If you know that someone will remain devoted to you no matter what, then why put in the effort to be the best version of yourself? Someone will tell me somehow soccer is different and I'm sure they're right and I am wrong. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Do you think I'm right? Or am I being too harsh? Let me know. Sega didn't know what they're doing. Ultimately, it took them out of the console market. As someone who is a fanboy, I don't like having to say that it was for the best. Again, what were they thinking? Thank you.